Masechet Nazir, Daf Samech Dalid. The topic today is all about uh, cases of safek impurity. Uh, if you were next to or impurity flew over you um, in different situations, especially floating impurity has special laws. And one is, uh, one, one is nearby, but is not sure if one came into contact with it or not. Do we assume um, that the person is tahod or tameh? It depends on many factors, as we'll see. Okay, so this all relates to the Mishnah. Mishnah said, Kesad, kesad Yarad. Mishnah was giving an example of the difference between known uh, impurity and tumat tehom, and they mentioned an example of someone going to bathe in a cave, and there was a corpse floating in the on top of the water in the cave that's known you can see it if it's down and buried under the ground then it's not known that was the example okay since we talked about an example of something that's floating now we're going to talk about other examples of thing items that are floating the mishnah was talking about tumat met but the following discussion will be mostly about tumat sheretz which is different Okay, Safa and We just said we ended the previous saying that this Tumat Tehom only applies to Tumat Met, not to Sheditz. So uh, this following discussion has nothing to do with unknown impurity. It's just a matter of do we assume uh, that uh, something uh, is, is more probable or less probable? Okay, so Safa and Safa Ben Ben if uh, a sheditz, right, a dead mouse or something like that, is floating on top of water and one was in close proximity to it and he's not sure, did he touch it or not? So we say if it's floating, a person is not tamir, right? The idea is that if it's floating, it's kind of moving around and um, so there's less uh, less chance that he touched it. Detanya. Safek tuma safa ben bekelim ben bekarka tehora. Rabbi Shimon omer bekelim temea bekarka tehora. However, the exact cases are going to be subject to a machloket. Tanakama says, that if you uh, have some doubt about a sheretz that's floating, unlike if it's in place, if it's actually in place um, and it's in private property and you said, I, I might have touched it or not, so we have to assume But if it's floating, we assume it's moving around and uh, so you're okay. And that's true according to Tanakama, whether it's floating in a vessel or in the ground. In other words, maybe you have a tub and there are some sheretz floating in the tub and uh, you were nearby and uh, then if it's floating in the tub it's okay or if it's floating in groundwater also okay it doesn't matter where it's floating any shed it's floating in water and you're not sure if you touched it or not tahod according to Tanakama however Rabbi Shimon says no it makes a difference if it's inside a vessel so then that's a you know it's a small item it's like it's on the ground right it's just in a man-made vessel so then you have to assume temea only if it's in natural water, that water that's in the ground, a lake, or something like that, then we assume t- that's tahor. But in the vessel is like being on the ground. That's what Abishimon says. Okay, what is the source of these um, uh, of this machloket? My ta'ama de tanakama. What's their source in Pesukim? Amar bi Yitzchak bar avudimi keti bechol hasheres hashores kol makom shehu shores uchtiv al haares hakesad vaday magaot tameh safeg magaot tahor.
Let's see the Pisukim inside. Uh, from Vayikra Yud Aleph. The context is non-kosher animals that you're not allowed to eat. <clears throat> and it mentions, Al Now the word litame here actually is referring to the fact as being not that's not kosher to eat. But it all happens to be the same word as ritual impurity. So we're reading it in that in the context of ritual impurity. And says the chola shedes hashores. It sounds like no matter where it is, if it's a shedes, one of those eight creepy crawlies, then um, you're going to be tameh, even if you're not quite sure whether you touched it or not. From this pasuk, sounds like it's everywhere. But from the pasuk before, it says lechol hashedes hashores al haaretz. Where do these swarmy things swarm? On the land, on ground. Uh, so here, so uh, how could we um, um, how could we reconcile these two, two pasukim? This one sounds like it only makes you tameh if it's on the ground. But the second forty three says it sounds like it makes you tameh no matter where it is. So wh- how are we going to reconcile these two? Hakesad, if you definitely touched it. Your tame, no matter where you, where it is and where uh, where you are, even if it's, uh, it's floating on the water anywhere, you know you touched it. It causes tumah. But if you're not sure, um, then if you're on land, you're going to be tame because uh, it's more like you t- you touched it. It's stationary, standing in one place is easier to touch. Whereas if it's floating, then we can presume that you are tahor. So that's how Tanakama re- um, understands the pesukim. Good. Rabbi Shimon, my Tama, was Rabbi Shimon's uh, source to distinct, make a distinction between something floating on in groundwater, there we're lenient, versus something floating in a ves- in water in a vessel, where he's stringent. Let's also look at the pasuk that he brings. These words, Ada'arev, is actually um, from a different pasuk. It doesn't belong here. Um, so that's why it's in parentheses. Uh, maybe a copyist just was thinking by heart and added in the words. So anyway, this is from earlier in that pedic where it's talking about a, a dead body here that falls on something and it falls on other things like an oven that has to be smashed. And then it says, however, uh, spring or cistern in which water is collected is always pure. That's a mikveh, right? Even if a dead body falls into a mikveh, the mikveh is still pure. There's no way to make a mikveh tameh. Um, if, if, it's, if it continues to have all the necessary amount of water in it. And, but that, so that sounds like, um, that sounds, we're going to learn from there that if a floating corpse is, that you're not sure you touched or not, is tahod. But then the rest is that, the rest is, if someone touches that body, then the person is tameh. So it sounds like it's talking about uh, the same case of something floating, and it says, if you touch it, Tameh. Now, anytime you for sure touch it, you're going to be Tameh. But we're asking about the, we're assuming, let's say it's the same case, where you're not sure. And the first half says Tahor. And the second half says Tameh. What's the difference between the first half and the second half? Um, so, that's what he answers. So, Safa Bekelim Tameh. If it's floating on in uh, in a vessel, that's what the second half is talking about. If and you're not sure, maybe you touched it, tameh. Whereas the first half is talking about mayim, something that is in a cistern in the ground, and so that water that's collected there, if there is a body floating on it, and one is not sure if he touched it, 
then we assume Tahor, and that's the, the Rabbi Shimon's source. Okay, it also has some, makes some uh, logical sense that if, the, if, we're, if everyone's agreeing with the basic distinction between floating, moving around, which is more likely that you didn't touch it, versus stationary, more likely that you touched it, so floating inside a vessel, um, is that like floating in a natural body of water? Um, that's the Tanakama says, whereas Rabbi Shimon says, no, it's in a vessel, so okay, it's floating, but still it's in a vessel, it's on the ground, and that's considered more like ground. Okay, now, Tanur Banan, Kol Anitalin Vehanigradin Sefekan Tameh, Mipneshehen Kemunachin, Vanizrakin Sefekan Tahor. Now we're going to apply a similar law to things that are flying. Things that are flying are also floating, not floating in water, but floating in the air, or being thrown or flying in the air. Also, okay, so this, this Baraita teaches that any item that's being, that's carried or dragged, if there's a human being that's carrying it or dragging it on land, that's considered that the uh, if you're not sure if you touched it or not, tame, even though it's moving, but it's connected to a person who is moving it. And so therefore, that's the same as being stationary. That's, the point is that it's on land, it's not floating. Right? Things kind of move in a predictable way when they're, are, they're on land, and so you're more likely to be able to tell, right, oh, I just was there, I probably I must have touched it, because you can see the traje- trajectory. Um, it's the same as if it's at rest. However, if something is thrown, then, and you're not sure, wait, it was thrown, does it, did it touch me or not, um, then the safek is, if there's safek, we say tahor. Okay, that's true in general, like for sheretz impurity, However, chutz min kezayi tamet v'amahil al pene tumah v'chol davar shemitameh milemala kilemata leituye zavizava. But this rule about something thrown is has an exception that where we are stringent, and that would be in a case of a kezayit, an olive bulk from a corpse that is mitameh beohel. And therefore, if it's something, some uh, piece of a bone is thrown over a person, and it's possible that it went over their heads and, uh, and created an ohel. Or the other way around, if a kite or something flies over, uh, flies over uh, a person and a body, a dead body that's nearby, and you're not sure did the kite fly directly over them or not? Was it over this over the cemetery or not? Uh, while you were under it, and did it cause tent impurity? Um, so, in in those cases, and also um, other things like a zav and zava. Zav and zava they make they cause tumah not only by touching something, but also. Um, if they touch something, then that tumah goes to the item on top of it. Like if there's a bunch of mattresses and they touch the bottom one, it goes up. If they touch the top one, it goes down. And so too, um, if a zav, we're not sure there's some item flying and, he, and we're not sure if he touched the bottom one, but since this is a type of tumah that extends up and extends down, it's similar to, uh, to um, a tent impurity also that has this vertical quality. And therefore, in those cases, even though it's Flying, we are machmir. Whereas when you're talking about tumacheretz, which is only about touching, then and and it's flying, then we assume he didn't touch it, and the person is remains tahor. Okay, that's a braita. All right. Now, based on these distinctions, we have a few questions. Ba'ed ami barchama. Ami barchama. Everybody's favorite uh, 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 questioner. He always always asking these ultra technical questions. 
um, that are really splitting hairs, but they're fun and they're interesting, and you can get at important principles through them. So Rabbi Balcham is going to ask a long series of questions um, to analyze this distinction uh, between what, is, what does that mean? What do you consider something floating on natural body of water versus a vessel? So he asks, Met bekli ukli saf al mahu. What if you're, there's a dead body in a vessel on a raft or something? And the vessel is uh, floating on water in the, you know, in the in the middle of the ocean or something. Um, so what do we say about that? Mahu patar keli azlinan o batar metazlinan. Do we follow the vessel? In other words, we consider the corpse and the vessel all one unit, and this unit is floating on natural water, and so therefore we can be lenient and call it floating impurity. Or do we go by, we look at the corpse itself, and what is the corpse resting on? The corpse is resting on a solid object. It's on a raft. I don't care where the raft is, right? I just don't want to know directly. I look at the corpse, it's on a solid thing, and therefore... In a case of Safek, we're going to be stringent. Okay, good question. Now, before we answer it, we're not going to answer any of them. Um, but let's uh, make a further uh, a further question. If you say that we're going to follow the 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 whole unit, right? And the whole unit is floating. What if the thing that the corpse is floating on is a dead, creepy, crawly animal? Um, so kevanda haytumat so this is different from a raft because a raft is surely a solid object, but um, uh, but the uh, the, uh, um, the the creepy crawly thing is uh, itself something impure. So do we consider it? It's easier to understand the second part. Do we say it's all tumah semichta, one solid uh, thing of impurity? And even though it's two different items and two different types of impurity, it's all we all cons- we considered all one solid thing, and that entire thing is floating on the water, and therefore uh, we can be lenient. Or do we say, wait, the levels of impurity are different because for if someone gets impure by a sheretz, he just has to go to the mikveh and he's good, uh, he's pure that evening. Whereas for the dead body, um, he has to wait seven days and do the purification of para aduma. And since they are different levels of uh, tumah, it's as if um, the uh, impurity of the corpse is on a vessel. Compared to the corpse, the uh, dead um, uh, uh, animal is like a like a, a different object, like a solid object, and therefore we we will consider it uh, will will be machmir. Um, okay, good question. And now, building on that, if you can consider the dead sheretz like a, like a vessel compared to the different type of tum'ah of the dead body, and therefore we're going to be stringent and consider this person tameh, even though he's not sure if he touched it or not, but we're going to consider it like it's on land, and the person is, is therefore deemed tameh. What about the next case? Okay, forget the dead body. Now we have a sheretz um, that's on top of non-kosher meat. Non-kosher meat also uh, is a source of impurity, and so the the, the sheretz is on top of the uh, of the non-kosher meat. What do we say about that? They are the same type in that both of them, if anyone uh, is uh, carrying, touching, or carrying them. 
the, touching them, they become tameh um, only for until that night. They go to the mikveh and they're only good and they're good till that night. So since it's the same type, uh, same level of impurity, so we can consider them all one unit, and this entire unit is floating, and therefore we can be lenient because floating tumah, when you're not sure, is lenient. Or do we say, wait a second, their level of Tumah is not exactly the same because for in order for a Nevela to impart impurity it has to be the size of a Kezayit. Whereas in order for a Shedes to impart impurity, it can even be the size of a lentil, which is smaller. So Shedes is more stringent. And therefore, since there are two levels of Tumah, we're going to have to consider the bottom as a base, as land, compared to the top. Um, and so the top one, the Sheretz, will be like it's on land, and someone who might have touched it, we're going to be Machmir. And based on that, Sheretz, Agabe Sheretz, Mahu, fine. What if you have one creepy crawly on top of another dead creepy crawly, and uh, that the, the, the two are floating on water? So these two are surely exactly the same. They're exactly the same item, same type of Tum'ah. And so we can, we'll consider it all one unit, and the entire unit is floating, and therefore we can be lenient. Or since there are two bodies that are physically separate from each other, they happen just to be touching, um, and so therefore the, we look at the top Shedis. The top Shedis is not floating on water. It's resting on a solid item. And therefore we're going to be stringent. And uh, if you can answer that question, then we'll ask you another one. If you say that one Shedes on top of another, since they're two separate bodies, so it's like that uh, the top one is on top of a solid piece, it's like being on land. What about Shedes Nevela Let's bring back the Nevela. Uh, but the Nevela this time is uh, is a became liquid, it melted. So it's liquidy. So do we say that um, this, you know, like as fat from a, a, a non-kosher animal that, uh, that, that melted. So do we say that that's liquidy and therefore the sheddest that's on top is floating? Or do we say it's not very, li- I mean, it's not liquidy like water. It's thicker, right? Even melted fat is going to be somewhat, somewhat thick. And so we consider that like a solid. And if you can somehow, if you decide that melted meat, melted fat is like food, it's too thick, what about if the sheretz is on top of shichbat zera, on top of semen, which is thinner than melted fat? Um, is that Would that be considered like a liquid or like a solid? And if you say, once the shichva zera, uh, it, was, it comes out of a person's body, it's somewhat thick, and so therefore it's more like food. What about sheres agabe mehatat mehatat safin agabe hamai mahu? What if you have sheres that's resting on the water, the water that's mixed with ashes from para aduma? When you mix it with ashes, it also makes it thicker. 
and that whole thing is is resting on the water. Um, so the, we're we're asking the exact amount of viscosity that makes something um, a liquid or a solid for the purposes of this halacha. Mahu teko. We don't know. Good question, and we leave all these questions unresolved. Okay, the typical questions for Adami Barchama, and I would guess that when he presented these in the Bet Midrash, this would be a subject of a lot of debate, and everybody would bring different reasons to say this way and that way and build one upon the other and it would be a great um, teaching technique to think about all of these hair splitting but theoretically very interesting cases. All right, good. And now that we finished those questions, we have another chidush that now we go back to the kevet of Tehom. We have a case of either a Nazir or someone who uh, did his Korban Pesach and they walked over, uh, uh, came, uh, were, they came into contact with an unknown Kevet on the seventh day of their purification. So the case would be like this. Let's say for Pesach, uh, you have a guy, he, he, he purified himself. By, he became he was Tamelamit. He purified himself. He got sprinkled with Paraduma water on the third day and on the seventh day. And so and he went to the mikveh. Now um, on that seventh day, on the very same day, he had unknown uh, 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 unknown on that day, he walked over a hidden grave. Okay. And then so then uh, afterwards he did Koban Pesach. After he did Koban Pesach, someone told him, Oh, you went over a kevet of Tehom. Now, we learned in the Mishnah that that person is totally fine. If, only if, there was a chazakah of, of tahara, but not if there was a chazakah when he went on that grave that he at that time was tameh. So, here's the thing. If he went um, and he went over that grave on the eighth day, ninth day, any time after he was totally tahor, then surely he would be good to go. If he had passed over that tumatehom, before the seventh day, then he's still Tameh. Then he would presume of Tameh. The question of Amnunah is asking, what about on the seventh day itself? Right? Because to be totally pure, he's going to have to wait till the end of the seventh day, um, uh, till the sun sets. But now it is the seventh day itself. Ram Amnunah says we could be lenient and we can ignore that Kever Tehom. Same thing with a Nazir. A Nazir, may he declare himself to be a Nazir, he became Tameh Lamet in the middle of his counting, and he did the purification of Tpada'aduma on the third and seventh day, and he became Tameh on that very day. Now really, this uh, Nazir is also going to have to uh, shave and bring Korbanot and restart counting, um, so that's why the Nazir, as we're going to see, is a little bit more difficult. But here's the point. If he became uh, if he went over Kever uh, Tehom on that very day, and they told him about it afterwards. So again, do we consider this, that he was a Chazaka? He has to be a Chazaka, that he was Tahor. So Rav Amnonah says, on the seventh day, that's considered Tahor enough that we follow the Chazaka, that he is Tahor, and we can ignore it and keep going. It's not like if he, had, if he was before the seventh day, where he has a Chazaka of Tumah, then we're stringent regarding um, the Tehom. 
So that's Rav Hamnuna's position, and the Gemara explains what's the reason, because Tumat Tehom is not strong enough that it should negate the things that he did. The Nazir, he already, he already um, became Tahor, he brought his offerings, um, or a Pesach, uh, Korban Pesach, he brought the Korban Pesach. So these are positive things he did, and we're not going to undo now if we found out afterwards that while he had a presumption of purity, and this is enough of a presumption of purity, so we have all the criteria we need, and on the seventh day itself is good enough. Okay, good. We're going to challenge it. That says if a person went down, went to the mikveh um, because he was tameh lamet and he encountered tumat tehom at that point, so he's tameh because. He has a presumption of tumah, um, whereas if he has sheikh uh, because chazakav tameh, then we assume he's tameh. Only if he has a chazakah that he was tahor, he's tahor. So this is talking about here a person who's going down to uh, to to go to the mikveh, and so that sounds like it's the seventh day. And the thing is, he's not totally pure on the seventh day because a uh, korban pesach guy he has to wait till it gets night. Um, and uh, someone who was in uh, Nizirut, he has to wait till night, and he has to shave and bring korbanot. So they're not done with their with their ceremony. So Ravas says, why, why are you assuming that just because it's the seventh day, that's a chazaka of tahor? That should be should be should be, should be called chazkat tameh. Okay, good question. Ramamna says, you know what, you're right. I rethink my position and I agree with you regarding Nazir. So even though he said here Nazir, okay, forget about Nazir. And Nazir, he has to wait till the next day and he's going to have to shave. He's going to bring, bring Korban. He still, has a, uh, he still has a while to go. So he's going to be considered Cheskat Tameh. But I stick to my position, Rav Hamnuna is saying, regarding Pesach. Uh, the guy who did Koban Pesach, because he doesn't have to do anything, right? He just has to wait till it gets night, and so that's not a big deal. Um, okay, so he agrees with that. Rava says, you know what, after thinking about your what you said, and now that you agreed that Nazir would be Chazakah of Tameh, because he has to still do shaving, um, but what you said about Pesach, the guy who did Pesach, and on that seventh day, he encountered Tumat Tehom. I agree with you regarding Pesach. He's not missing anything. He did his, He did the mikveh the third day. He did, uh, the, the, I mean, sprinkling on the third day, on the seventh day. He went to the mikveh. So he did everything that he has to do. And so, I agree with you. So great, now they were. They had this discussion, and now they're all in agreement. Until Abaye came. Hold on, even the guy, the Korban Pesach guy, he has to wait till night. He's not totally pure um, on that day. He can't go, he can't go and make um, Korbanot on the seventh day. He has to wait till it's nighttime. And so he's not, he should be also considered a Chazaka of Tum'ah. So Abaye is saying, I disagree with you, Rav Amnunah, in all your cases. Forget, now everyone, now he, he took back the Nazir case, but Abba is saying, even the person who um, did Korban Pesach, but on the seventh day, he had uh, encountered a Tumat Tehom, but it was before sunset, so he's not totally Tahor. But Rav said to Abaye, no, the sun sets by itself. There's nothing that the guy has to do. We only say 
he uh, has a, a chazaka problem, if he still has to shave, if he still has to bring a korban, he has to, to he didn't go to the mikveh yet, he has to do something, then we say, sorry, you're right, you're a chazaka. But this guy, even though, even though the sun didn't set, he's not 100% tahor, since it's going to happen automatically, even if he just takes a nap, and uh, he wakes up after, sun, after it gets dark, he's tahor. Therefore, that's good enough. So that's what Ava responds to Abayeh. And even Abayeh himself, after thinking about this, he agreed, which is really nice. We have three different Amoraim here who all disagree, but they discuss it, and by the end, they were all in total agreement. Okay, good. Now, where do we say that Abayeh agreed that uh, someone who is awaiting, till, uh, awaiting sunset but did everything else is a chazaka of tahara? Um, and uh, we and has a presumption that he's okay. Oh, from the following Baraita, a little bit of a complicated case. Detanya. Yom Melot Tavi, Toch Melot Lo Tavi. We're talking about a Yoledit, a woman who either gives birth or miscarries, has to uh, uh, observe a period of 80 days in which she cannot come to the Bet HaMikdash. That 80 days itself is split into 14 and 66. 14, she's actually Tameh. And 66, she sees Dam Tohar, so she's technically Tahor, um, but she still can't come to the Bet HaMikdash. Okay, that doesn't matter. The point is, when she gives birth, 80 days, and only 80 days later, then she can come to the Bet HaMikdash. She has to bring her sacrifices as a Yoledet, but she can't bring him during the 80 days. She has to do it um, afterwards, on the 81st day. Okay, this is true also if she miscarries after 40 days of pregnancy. Um, a fetus also makes her a yoledit. All right, so that's the simple law. Now, here's the question. What if she gave birth um, and now she's, uh, she became a she now she has the status of this yoledit? While during the 80 days, she got pregnant and miscarried. And so now, she, it's all within 80 days. The question is, does she have to bring two korbanot or can she wait till the end? Waiting would mean she can't come to the, once, let's say um, she, um, she gave birth and then she had a miscarriage on day 50. Right, um, since the birth. Well, that day fifty, she can't. She has to wait fifty days from the eighty days from then, because the clock restarts. She can't come to the Beit Hamikdash, right, um, until then. So you'd have to take those fifty days, add another eighty, hundred and thirty days later. She'll have to bring her korban. The question is, does she have to bring one korban or two? Since it was in within the same eighty-day period. Um, can she do two for one special? And the answer is yes. Yom melot tavi, toch melot lo tavi. Toch melot means if she miscarried during the time period of the 80 days since the first birth, she doesn't have to bring another korban. But if it was on that day, meaning on the 81st day, she has she gave birth and then she miscarried on the 81st day. The 81st day, sorry, is after the 80-day period. And so you can't, uh, since it's outside the period, that counts as its own item, and she's going to have to bring yet another korban for that. Okay, um, now, Yachol lo tavi, this is the last complication, Yachol lo tavi aleda shilifne melot, aval tavi aleda sheleachar melot, vetipater mi shetehen, tamodomar ubimlot yeme tahorah. Beyom melot tabi, toch melot lo tavi. The Braita asks, I understand that she would not have to bring a second korban um, if she had the miscarriage before the 80 days. 
But what if, now there's a more complicated case, where she had two miscarriages after her birth, right? She gave birth and then 50 days later, she has a miscarriage. And another 50 days after that, she has another miscarriage. So what about that? Would you think that she has to bring two korbanot, and, this, and one of them will count for two items. Um, but why would she have to bring two? Because um, she gave birth on day one. And then she had a miscarriage on day 50. So day 80 from the original birth, that's all one unit, maybe you'll say. Right? And so she'll have to bring one korban for those items. But then the second miscarriage happened after the 80 days. That's not within the window of time. And so therefore, since it's a, a separate 80 days, so she has to bring yet another uh, korban for that miscarriage. You might think that, that's why the Pasuk says, when the days of her purity are fulfilled, totally fulfilled, only um, on, the, on that day she brings, um, only if she miscarries on the day of her fulfillment, on day 81, when she's totally done with all countings, then she has to bring yet another. But as long as it's within the counting of any counting, she should not bring. See, here's the logic. Um, she ha- she gave birth. Now she has an 80-day period. She can't come to the Bet HaMikdash. She can't possibly bring the Korban. And so any if she miscarried in the middle, so then one Korban will count for, for both of them. That's clear. Everyone agrees to that. Now, if she has a, second mis- if she has a first miscarriage, then the, the count starts again because she can't come to the Bet HaMikdash for another 80 days after that. And therefore, any miscarriage that she has within that 80 days starting from the 50 days, meaning within the 130 days, is also going to be within one period. And so after the 80 days of the, after the last miscarriage, right, whenever that is, um, then she'll bring one korban for all three um, uh, events, right, for the, for the birth and for both. Okay, so that's the Braita. Now, explaining the Braita, actually challenging the Braita, Amarav Kahana, Shane Hacha de Mechasera Korban, Hatam Name Mechasera Herif Shemesh. Rav Kahana says, I have a question. Um, this, uh, the, uh, uh, right, to explain the, the Braita, you, we, we, we said that um, she's missing a Korban. As long as she's lacking the possibility of bringing a Korban, it's all considered within the time period, even though it's after 80 days. Um, but she didn't, she couldn't possibly bring a Korban yet, right, when she gave birth. And then on the 50th day, she had a miscarriage. On 30 days later, she can't yet come to the Bet HaMikdash because now she's within a second um, 80 days that starts from the miscarriage. And so because she's continuing to count, so she didn't have a korban yet. And since she couldn't bring a korban yet, it's all within the same period. And that's why we continue, even if she has a second miscarriage, within 80 days of the first miscarriage, it's all one. Got it. But what about the simpler case where um, it was just one miscarriage and she had a, she gave birth 50 days later, she had a miscarriage. And now you said on day 81 that, oh, if she had the miscarriage on day 81 uh, instead of on day 50, right, then she has to bring her own korban. Why? After all, on that day 81, she still is lacking sunset. We're assuming for some reason that she didn't go to the mikveh before and she went to the mikveh for, for her, her regular plain tum'ah on, uh, she waited till day 81. 
Um, and if she did that, then she has to wait until sunset in order to be able to bring a korban. And so why don't you say the same thing, that she's not totally uh, pure and able to come to the Beit HaMikdash even on day 81. And therefore, this would go against the Braita, because the Braita said if she gave birth on one on day 1, and then on day 81 she had a miscarriage, she has to bring a second korban. Why is she a second korban if she's lacking sunset? And to that, sunset doesn't count as something that's preventing a person from doing something because sunset happens by itself. It happens automatically. Here, what we see here is, even though it's talking about a completely different case, Abayas said the same words, that sun, the sun sets by itself and there is, therefore is not considered a deficiency in the status of a person. Since he said this regarding this Yoledet case, we assume he would also say it back uh, back with the uh, Pesach case, that when the person, he purified himself in order to do Karban Pesach, and he sprinkled himself on the third and seventh day. On the seventh day, he encountered a Tumat Tehom, and then he went and did Karban Pesach and found out, oh, you were you walked over that, uh, that Tumat Tehom. So we say, he has a Chazaka of being Tahor, because it was on the seventh day. He already got sprinkled. He already immersed. He did what he had to do. He did all the things he could do, even though it's not yet sunset, but sunset happens by itself. So we don't consider that, that he's lacking in his Tum'ah, and therefore we give him a, a, um, a chazaka of being Tahor. So in the end, even Abaye came around, agreed with Rava, agreed with Ram, Rav, Rav Hamnuna, and so everyone agrees that encounter with Tum'at Tehom on the seventh day um, before uh, of Tahara, for someone who does Korban Pesach, he's good to go. For a Nazir, however, since he still has more active steps that he has to do of shaving, so that Tumat Tehom will be during a period of Cheskat Tum'ah, and he's, he, that person will have to um, nullify the days from before. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.